Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports with interesting sports industry executives and personalities. Uh, and, uh, and my trusted partner, Joe Favorito. And that excludes ourselves, Tom. Well, we try, so. to, we try to be interesting, and we'll, we'll keep, keep working at it. But, uh, Joe, it's good to be back to, at, for an in-person, face-to-face podcast, because we haven't had one in a while. And school's back in session, school's too. School's back in session. There's a lot going on in the business. We're going to jump right in today, though, because we have limited time with our special guest. Um, and there's a lot of stuff to cover, so we're just going to go right into the introduction of Rich Routman. Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, let me do a quick bio, and then you can talk a little bit about what you're up to. Um, Rich is the president of Minute Media, which is a sports-focused global digital media brand that has some uh, brands you may know of, such as 90 Min, 12 Up, recently launched Double Tap. They're starting to move into other verticals beyond sports, so it's a really interesting story, a lot about the interse- at the intersection of uh, distributed media, user-generated content, alternative platforms, etc. cetera. Uh, so it's a really interesting uh, agenda that they've got, and we'll learn about that from Rich. Um, Rich got, has a distinguished background in the business. In fact, he's probably got about as much modern, digital, digitally delivered video experience as anybody in the business, having worked at places such as Silver Chalice, uh, Exos Digital, Perform Sporting News, and, and now Minute Media. So we're really happy to have you, Rich. So uh, again, welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience? Just give us uh, a minute or two on your background. How do you, how do you land at Minute? And then we'll jump into the uh, discussion about your business. Great. So uh, again, thanks for having me. Um, you know, uh, started in the sports business almost 20 years ago. Uh, really initially focused on the legal side of the business, uh, working at Skadden, um, and they happen to represent the NFL. So uh, I quickly worked my way over to the NFL team, uh, and shortly thereafter spent a number of years at the NFL working on digital rights, digital distribution, and really uh, when it was called the new media department. Um, So we didn't quite have all of the pieces quite yet put together. CBS Sports right. was hosting our website. And our friend Chris Russo was there. And our friend Chris probably, Russo was there running, with running new media yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, got very interested in rights at the time. You had NFL Films, NBA Entertainment, NASCAR Media Group, etc. that were kind of coming up. And uh, a few of uh, my colleagues and friends decided that there was no entity in sports that oversee the use of media intellectual property for college. Uh, so we decided to uh, raise money um, from uh, another collegiate sports properties group and build what eventually became Collegiate Images, then exited the business in 2008 to Exos. Um, since that time, I've uh, been doing other sports startups, spent four years at Silver Chalice as we got that business off the ground. Uh, and then when Perform uh, moved to become a, a public company and started to acquire direct-to-consumer brands, I came in to run their media business. Um, I left Perform about two years ago, uh, thinking about different areas of the space like OTT and what I may do next after Perform was sold to a private equity firm and Len Bovatnik took the business private. Um, and I ran into this Israeli entrepreneur named Masaf Pillet, who spends a lot of his time in, uh, in the venture investing community. He explained to me the technology they built and uh, what they were endeavoring to do with the business. And uh, to be honest, you know, you you follow the founder when it comes to these businesses mm-hmm. and understanding his vision and his strengths and how my strengths, I believe, complemented some of the things that he was looking to do. Um, you know, I jumped, in, I jumped on board uh, shortly thereafter. 
Uh, I think in, in digital, if you want to be successful today, it's, it starts less with the content and more with the product. Right. Uh, and what these guys did is tremendous around technology and product, and I think it gave us the best chance of being successful around content and monetization. So, um, and, really and it seems to be working. I'm just going to quote a couple of numbers to, yeah. uh, from, from your website, uh, and I assume your sales deck. 75 million monthly global visitors. That's pretty impressive. 20,000 pieces of content produced per month, 115 million users through social media, 1.2 billion social impressions per month, and obviously a high concentration of usage on mobile, no surprise. So you've been there two years. Talk about what you've seen over the last two years in terms of some of the trends and how you've responded to them and, and, and what's accounting for all the success. Yeah, so I think that, um, so first of all, the good news is the numbers are better, uh, you know, so we're up to 80 million users now um, on a monthly basis, and we only count users that come to the site. I think there's a bit of a miscalculation in media these days where you count users across all platforms, most of which you don't own. Um, you know, it's our goal. We're still building a destination brand, and, uh, you know, as, as it relates to building a destination brand, when you get those users, it's easier, easier to capitalize the business, it's easier to monetize the business. Um, what we're seeing, I joined the business two years ago. We had 30 million users at the time, and the business was not focused on revenue generation. Um, if you think about the sports landscape, at least here in the U.S., soccer has lacked venture investment uh, and innovation because it's not considered, in a lot of cases up until recently, a top five sport. Um, you know, there's been a ton of great businesses in sports and media that have done NFL, NBA, MLB, and have done it really well, even some of which we were talking about earlier, or may have even exited in the last few years, but soccer is an area that has lacked venture investment. Uh, so we built the business on the outside in. We focused initially on Europe, on Asia, on Latin America, because you have to be big in the soccer markets in order to be big in soccer. Um, and then we entered the US market in May of last year uh, with our 12 up brand. Um, you know, We've now launched the esports brand on the back of it. The user growth is not slowing down. Um, it's really a function of the revenue that you get for that individual user. As a, as a user in Vietnam is worth a lot less than a, a user in the U.S., um, but we're, we're very heavily focused on growth. We're very heavy focused on putting the power back in the user's hands. Um, and I think from our perspective, it's about empowering the fan to become the content creator. So depending on when you're listening to this, there was an announcement uh, early October with Jeffrey Katzenberg yesterday launching new TV. Mm-hmm. And the amazing line that John, that Brian Stetler wrote it, and I wrote it down, was content isn't king, platform is really the king. So you guys are, are basically, are you looking at it more platform-based, or is the content on the platform more important to where you are now and going forward, especially with sports like soccer? Yeah, I think we want to sit at the intersection of proprietary, interesting technology, even on the SaaS side of the business, and new media. And if we can sit at the intersection of those two areas, it gives you the ability to develop a diversified revenue stream so in the ad, you're not as focused on the ad market. And we have platform deals with major media companies, but we also generate a lot of advertising revenue. So we, we want to be a platform business. I think mm-hmm. we've proven that. Uh, I think when you look at the UGC businesses of the past, whether that's where Bleacher Report started or Huffington Post when they initially got going, SB Nation, SB Nation there was no real tech involved at the time. Right. You know, and Now it's gotten more sophisticated. But what we wanted to do was to build an open platform that allowed any user in the world, regardless of language, to become a content creator. That's a lot less trivial than doing it in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, 
You know, the, the platform took two years to build. Uh, we still have a 70-person product and tech team in Tel Aviv, full-time employees. It's, wow. a, it's a big area of our business. Uh, and we built the product initially for ourselves, but now we're also licensing the product to other B2B clients. So we're definitely a platform business. Without the platform, we would have nowhere near the scale that we have today. Um, but to give you a sense, we have 4,000 fans that utilize our platform to create content. And those fans are the ones doing that uh, 30,000 now pieces of content every single month. As a former attorney, I'm sure you, you were really careful about what that agreement looks like between we, your contributors and the company. Yeah, so we own the content. Yes, okay. Uh, so know, talk uh, about that, but seriously, because this has been a big issue in UGC-oriented media businesses of what rights do they have, what monetization operations Yeah, they and have. coming from a, a content background or a rights background, the right. last place I thought I'd ever be would be in a business where UGC was the primary driver. As right. a matter of fact, if you asked me five years ago, I probably wouldn't have done it. Right. Uh, so it's no longer a fashion faux pas. Right? Okay. It's kind of like sports betting or DFS. Yeah. It's just part of the landscape of how the newsroom has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're DMCA compliant. Um, we have two language editors for every single language we uh, originate content in. There's never a single piece of content that will ever hit any one of our brands that has been translated, so it's all done by local fans and local language. Um, there is a non-human element to the editorial process in terms of scanning the page for accuracy and slander and different things that we can do on the non-human side. Uh, and then there's a obviously a human element where every piece of content that is created by any fan around the world needs to be approved by two people on our end before it gets published. Mm-hmm. Um, so a very rigid process. If you're a contributor for us who does a large volume, clearly the approval process gets you know, uh, less and less over time. But because we're putting our name behind it and because of the legalities of you know, being a publisher these days, we have to take that curation process very seriously. Right, and is there any kind of commercial relationship? So 90% of the writers are unpaid. Okay. We have a, so the lion's share of our content comes to us entirely free. Um, it's a platform for fans to express themselves. Right. When Ronaldo eventually goes and plays for China, that's not the interesting story. Is that's, that's the breaking news. We provide the take on the breaking news from a lot of different directions. And I think uh, that's, that's us as a business. It's three different takes on that big breaking story. Right. And, how are, and Rich, how are they using different forms of media uh, in terms of building a mosaic uh, experience a mosaic of different kinds of contents, video, audio, etc. So video is a bit more challenging in UGC because you commercialize video a little bit differently than you commercialize editorial. Um, we do allow for fans to be video content creators, but the focus of their content creation is usually uh, traditional text. Uh, we give them a variety of different formats, whether that may be an article, a list, a gallery, a slideshow, a lineup template. We have all these templates in our CMS that a uh, a user can um, attach themselves to. They then get access to all of our cleared images from Getty, our video rights with the leagues, our other editorial formats to embed within that content. We try to advise them that everything should be, it's, it's for social first consumption, so 500 words or less. You should include media in every piece of content you make. Uh, so we're also training them to become professional writers. And we have guys like Scott Saunders in the UK, who's a Manchester United fan. He's been with us for two years. He has 190 million reads, mm-hmm. right, as big as any ESPN writer out there. Uh, and then you have guys in New York that are just getting started with a million, five million, five million, two hundred thousand. And then there's people that just want to send their mom a link, right? That come in and use the system one time. But we um, we try to just embody the fan in everything we do and give them a technology to to take forward. How do you know 
who's going to be a good contributor? How do you kind of follow them along? Uh, and then how do you cultivate them along? Is there a, a system that's in place like Bleacher Report like used to have? Best practices kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, the cultivation of writers is huge, right? Because we're reliant on uh, fans for our content creation. So we're constantly working with universities. We're constantly working with even high schools, right? To, to get people involved in an early age that want to eventually become either sports editors, break into the sports community, or uh, have their own blog. So what we found is a lot of the guys that are writers for us and gals already have their own blog, already have their tw own Twitter account, but they don't really have any tech and any distribution. So in some cases, it's somebody that's an entirely new writer. In other cases, it's already an influencer that wants a new tech platform. Um, but the cultivating of those writers is a big responsibility that we take on. And if you think about you know, we, we don't invest as much into originated editorials, so we can invest more into community management. Great. I spent some time at Bleacher Report this week, uh, and they were talking about length mm -hmm. and how important length is, shortness of length. Now, when they're seeing it more and more, and you're seeing it with other publishers, as opposed to somebody like The Athletic, which is letting people write long form. Do you advise people now on how long is a good post, what is... Uh, reasonable for them to use and then how is that monetized back is shorter more important or does it not matter uh, shorter does not equal more important uh, in our world and neither does longer to be fair um, so you know we're we're going after a user that has a short attention span in a lot of cases we're going after a user that is coming in from the side door uh, and they're expecting to get their information quickly and succinctly um, so for us we encourage our contributors to be 500 words or less. Hmm. Um, in some cases, even as, as short as 250 words, depending on how pointed the information is. But we also have some long-form partners that bring content into the site. We don't discriminate against it by any stretch, but the performance of our short-form journalism highly exceeds the performance of our long-form content. And are you giving them feedback along the way? Um, so as to improve their skills? That's a, and I'd say that's probably the biggest part. So Brian, and our, uh, who leads our editorial efforts in the U.S., is constantly, these are guys that we want to contribute for, with us for years. We're putting an investment forward and training them. The first piece of content we may get from writer A is 2,000 words. It's likely a rant. It includes not a single image, and it's something you would ever publish. Right. And we, to a certain extent, train them not only to use our system, but to use it in a way to drive consumption. So when they can see their name on the leaderboard, when they can see that they've generated five million reads, when they can see their article on the homepage, when they can see it on MSN and Yahoo and Smart News and News Republic and all these syndication partners, you know, the light goes off that our system works the right way. And, and do they have the potential to become paying contributors Absolutely. Because that's the way, you know, the, like this the, kind of Hunger Games environment that was created years ago in this world kind of seems to all be now coalescing on this idea like, hey, if you're really good, we want you and we'll, well pay you Tom, and take care of you. I think we're both big believers that mm -hmm. in sports, the cream rises to the top very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's how we built our business, right? So when you have um, contributors and even just fans that are delivering millions of page views and have developed a following for their own, they either go and work for a big company and eventually over time or you know, we, they figure out a way to make them paid contributors. But cultivating that talent and making them into a star is a big part of what we try to do. You touched on really briefly about the partners that you have. Um, can you talk a little bit about how those partnerships develop and how they work? And then also on the other part of that is 
Is there a quality control that goes out to those partners? Do partners ever come back and say, we don't want that type of content on our site? Yeah, so I think that it's the actual opposite. You know, I'd say the big portals now need that kind of content on their site. Um, so if you asked me five years ago, again, we are licensing content and getting license fees for content that we did not pay to create. That's a good business model. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, Congratulations. Yeah, so I think Let's that, build a house and not pay anything for that's it. That's right. So, so I think so. that the fact that we are able to do that means that to people like MSN, to people like Yahoo, the voice of the fan is something they need to embrace if they want to grow. Uh, and it's also when you start thinking about local language. How many pieces of content does XYZ Portal can afford to really do in German on football today? Right? Maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20. We'll do 150. Right? Mm. So we're a huge supplement to the existing news operations of a lot of these publishing businesses. Uh, we're also the fan voice. Right? So I think uh, they break the news, they give your fantasy advice, but when you want to know what's going on, it's much better and more well served to hear from a fan. So Rich, you, you've obviously done this, you've kind of proved the concept, proven the concept quite well in the sports world, and now you're moving on. First step, although we, we can, I guess Joe and I would consider part of sports, is just move into eSports with Double Tap. So talk about mm -hmm. the decision to do Double Tap, and then the additional decision to go into other lifestyle verticals that I think are gonna be new in 2018. Yeah, so I think that the, uh, as a publisher, it, there's one thing to continue to grow audience. There's another thing to do traffic recirculation, which is something that we always like to do in the publishing community because you don't need to go find new users. So we looked at our audience, which is predominantly millennial male under the age of 35, and what other things that they like. Mm -hmm. uh, it so happened to be that we have, a, across our user base, a very heavy propensity to play gaming. And gaming is a very broad category. It could be esports, it could be League of Legends, right? Correct. So uh, for us, it was, how do we create another asset that gets the same users that we have in our platform and even some of their friends and, and et cetera into a new environment? Um, so when we looked at esports, uh, which is a natural extension to the business. Um, and you think about esports today, it's dominated by the guys who are doing live streaming. Um, and there's no storytelling in esports today. Right? There's, I mean, literally zero storytelling. You, can, you would have a hard time naming five great players in esports. Um, so I think for us it was how do we bring the stories of the individual players forward? How do we get inside the events and report from the events? How do we do all the things that we don't do in the NBA for esports and develop some personality? So how do we do mean tweets? How do we do guess that gun? How do we get these guys involved and create personalities around the players? Because that's what's driving the value of the leagues up today is the, the, the league marks and logos do real well, but the personality of their players and the attachment that fans have to those players is what's driving a lot of equity value. Right. So for us, that's been our strategy. And so that's an interesting process you went through to actually scope out the market. Think, obviously, um, think through all those issues you just raised, scope out the market, and then, and then extend the business into the specific category. Think of the brand name Double Tap. Well, we were um, in beta. Uh, with Double Tap yeah, well, that's for what I was a ask. very long yeah, time. Okay. Uh, I think we had a lot to learn about esports. And I so think. you were kind of growth hacking it, I guess? We were growth hacking it. We yeah. initially launched a site. It was a white site with black writing. And our esports fans said, we do not like white sites. We want a black site with white writing. Just simple things that you would have to yeah. adjust your product for in esports. It, in 90 men and in 12 up, our audience is 85 mobile, 15 desktop. In esports, it's 55 desktop and 45 mobile. Right, and that number is growing, not shrinking. The biggest, the second biggest traffic referral source for us with Double Tap is Reddit, not Twitter. Right, so it's 
it's adjusting to and being nimble enough on the technology side to embrace those other areas of exploitation that I think gets us there further faster. I was smiling with that answer because Joe and Rich, you, we all three remember in the early days, you would spend countless months preparing a new site, not get any feedback, not hack it at all, yeah. just thinking you knew all the answers. And then you'd have this dramatic launch and then thud. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and oftentimes, uh, not exactly a, a rousing yeah, uh, The building of reaction. the actual site itself and the architecture, I would say, is relatively simple for us at this stage. Instead of it being the Premier League section, it's the League of Legends section. Right. Um, however, um, you know, I would say adjusting to the user habits and making sure that you present them an experience that they're used to in esports versus the experience they're used to in soccer uh, was, a, was a big part of the challenge. Right. With, with all the building that you've done and the, the brand building that you've done, what are some of the things that have surprised you in this venture as opposed to all the other things you've been involved with? Uh, well, first and foremost, um, how much faster we've been able to grow. I mean, if you started a digital business five, even five, ten years ago, the expensive nature of growth, right? You know, you would do a partnership with a portal to drive links off their home page. You may have, you know, some marketing dollars you put towards it. The way that you can grow today, if you have the right B2B growth tools and the right product sets, I mean, to go from 30 to 80 in a year and a half would have never happened five years ago. Right. You have so much more at your disposal that you right. can leverage now. Um, so I would say that's number one. Number two, um, revenue in emerging markets is not trivial. Hmm. Uh, it's quite hard. And the process through which to hire in those markets and even set up entities is, uh, is a part that we've really actually enjoyed and overcome. Um, and I would say like as, as crowded as the sports marketplace is today, and it is very crowded in the States, I mean, we're the 10th site that you'll mention in sports in a lot of cases, uh, there is enough money to go around, right? As long as you have a very clearly defined value proposition. And uh, so for us, I'd say, the challenges continue to arise and there's certainly surprises every single day, um, but nothing that I look at and say, man, that's gonna be entirely impossible for us to overcome. It's funny you say we're the 10th sport. I just happened to have reviewed the August Comscore numbers and I think you were literally 10. Yeah. Is that and, right? Uh, that's why he said it. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah, but, um, but my point was it wasn't there a year ago. It wasn't there a year ago. I mean, um, you know, we've, we've really put it to work to be, I mean, most people, in the U.S. don't know who 12up is, but 12up has almost 20 million users already. And right. I think that for us to be able to grow that quickly in a market dominated by some heavy media players, you know, at least speaks the volumes to our business model. So we've got about five minutes left. So uh, we'll transition into our last couple of questions. And a good segue would be, you're doing a lot of hiring right now. What do you look for in new employees? I mean, I think for us, you know, it, it takes a lot of energy to be involved in a startup. Um, you know, this is my fourth and I still uh, have the burning in my belly. Right? So I think we, we're looking for people that are, are hungry to make a difference. I think it's easier to make a difference at a startup than it is to make a difference at a bigger media company. Mm -hmm. uh, we want a new point of view. We are not bringing people in here to do a simple defined task. We want ambitious people inside of this business. Um, and we also want open-minded people. So I think um, when we're interviewing, and I just had two of them uh, earlier yesterday, I want you to have done your homework and to understand some of the things you're doing, but don't understand our business better than we do, uh, and be able to come in and offer areas of new value. Where are the places that you think you can contribute today that are perhaps going to help us grow in the future? Um, so for us, it is not bringing somebody in to do legal affairs or bringing somebody in to edit. 
We are looking for multi-tool players because eventually they're going to evolve into bigger, bigger roles inside the right. company. It's almost like a version of, uh, I, I, I started this as you were mentioning that answer, um, think globally, act locally. Like Know the strategy and the goals of the business, but think about what you can really do on a day-to-day -day basis. That's right. I mean, I think when I talk to Mark McFarland, who runs Asia, his challenges are way different than ours. Right. Right? Right. Uh, he's trying to get three meetings in a day in Jakarta, Indonesia is a big deal. Right? <laughs> we can do 12 today in New York City. Right. Right? So I think it's uh, being sympathetic to the challenges that a startup faces, but also being bullish enough to really plow through them. So right. for us, you know, we're a very well capitalized startup. You know, we've been very public about having raised over $60 million. We're not slowing down. And it's just a matter of bringing really enthusiastic people into the business and being able to bottle up that enthusiasm in the right category. Right, so um, related to that, and, and you, you kind of answered the question largely, I think, with, with that response, but any other specific career advice you'd offer young people? We have a lot of students listening. Yeah, I think it's a matter of not defining a specific path for yourself. I mean, I came in, I wanted to be a lawyer, right? And uh, because I thought that, uh, Judgment Day was something I'd be really good at, right? And the analysis was really interesting to me. I think sports is more difficult to break into now than it was 10 years ago and probably 10 years ago before. So I think you have to have an open mind. And if you get in with the right organization, you will eventually find the path that is the most interesting to you. Uh, saying from the outset that I want to be in marketing or I want to be in business management or I want to be in finance, although if you want to be in finance, you probably should go for it. Um, I, think it's, I think it's more important to get in the door and then find your path once you're there rather than to try to define a path before you get your foot in the door. Okay, Joe, ask or, the last question. Or build the door yourself. So. Yeah, right. Um, so the more, more importantly, um, for people who are listening, where can they find more information? How do they contact you? How can they follow the sites? What are some of the, either the handles or places in social where they should be going? Absolutely. So we are, we are definitely hiring. Uh, we're up to 160 people. We need to be 200 people based on uh, board directives by the end of the first quarter. So check out the careers page on Minute Media, number one. Uh, follow the brands that make sense to you, you know, whether it's sports and pop culture in the U.S., uh, in English and Spanish language around 12 up. If you're an eSports fan, follow Double Tap. I think the best place to follow Double Tap is on YouTube right now with the explosion of eSports video. Um, and then if you're a soccer fan, I mean, we are the global leader. We have more users in soccer than anyone else in the world, and hopefully we become your default home for soccer coverage. Okay. In 30 seconds or less, last question. How do you keep up with everything going on? Well, I think you have to be willing to change and adapt every single day, number one. So uh, if it was a good idea six months ago, it's probably not a good idea anymore. Um, so we are constantly pivoting. And in a startup, I don't think you can pivot too many times. Mm -hmm. um, Number two, it's bring in really smart and talented people and be willing to overpay for them um, because they're going to educate you on the things that you would have never have expected to see. Um, so I think it's A, the people that surround us every single day. It's B, keeping up with people like yourselves and hearing what the competitive set is doing. And C, just be willing to be a total chameleon and change at every chance you get. Um, I think in digital today, I was telling this to a, an investor last week, you're not rewarded for the bets that you make, you're penalized for the ones you don't. Hmm. Right? So I think uh, if you look at every great business today, it's not this amazing bet Facebook made on video, it's, man, they should have bet on this and they didn't. Yes. Right? So I think for us as digital entrepreneurs, it's a matter of diversifying your bets in key areas, but not being come so diverse that you lose track of what you're good at. All right, that was fantastic. Um, look, 
I, I think uh, there was a lot in here. It was fast, but it was really good. So thank you for all the perspectives. This was uh, a discussion with Rich Routman, who's the president of Minute Media, which is a rapidly growing digital media company focused on sports and now esports and now and soon other uh, verticals. And I think, Joe, I was reminded today listening to Rich talk about how much potential there is for new media brands in this disrupted market that we live in, how fast things can happen, per Rich's point. And it's a reminder that these attacker brands just keep coming uh, and all the incumbency to watch out because these numbers that we're talking about are really impressive. Uh, so your story is a good one. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for having me. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Sorry it was a rush, but hopefully you got a lot out of it. We'll see everybody next time. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Tom. We'll see you for the next one, hopefully next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and the host is Joe Fabrito. Our production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.